Welcome to Liberty Station. I'm Bryce Eddy, and uh, today I have I have a friend of the show in with me, which is which is cool. Um, uh, Dr. Robert Yoho, you have um, been awesome over the last couple of weeks. You've uh, you've sent us over some really compelling guests, and you've given us a lot of suggestions. And I had so much fun talking to you. Um, you know, we had. Uh, you know, we had kind of a, a trio in here at the time, but, um, you know, I, I enjoyed connecting with you and, and we had fun uh, running off on some little tangents. And so I wanted to have you back uh, because after our last show, you and I kind of talked about healthcare, and, and we, you know, we got into a little bit on the episode, but then, um, you know, we kind of compared notes because we both come from different backgrounds within the healthcare space, uh, me being in the insurance business for, for many, many years, focusing on medical insurance. And so I got to see up close and personal kind of what's wrong with our system from that angle. And then of course, you've been deep into it for so many years. And then, you know, you wrote uh, this book here, Butchered by Healthcare. Um, and, and so I, I thought it would be great to talk to you a little bit about that and kind of dive into um, what is ailing our system? Because people know that something is desperately wrong because they're looking at insurance costs, they're looking at um, you know hospital expenses, they're seeing what's happening in our hospitals. COVID exposed a lot of stuff, and um, it it is starting to you know get people to understand that there's something wrong. But you have a whole group of you know the the you know socialized medicine folks uh, that that are promoting single payer uh, healthcare and you know, more government influence in the system and all that stuff. And so I thought it would be fun to do an episode where we kind of talk about what is wrong from both of our perspectives and what we're seeing. And then, um, you know, just kind of have fun with it. Okay, Bryce. Well, thank you so much for the uh, compliments, and it's my pleasure to be back. And we're colleagues here, so you don't have to doctor me. I'll Bryce eh, you, and you can Robert. You me. earned it, though. But, okay, but thank all right, you. I'll, I'll do my best. Okay. But but I, you know, you 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 earned it, and uh, you know, I didn't. <laughs> so here's well, yeah, you you worked in the belly of the beast, and you had yep. other experiences. So. Uh, here's a 30 second disclaimer. I'm forced to do this by the plaintiff's lawyers. And that yep. is that, um, this is for informational purposes only use this information at your own risk. If you have a problem, uh, see your licensed provider and take uh, advice from them. So I, I researched butchered by healthcare for three years. And, uh, so I, there's 500 references. It's not a casual uh, work, and everything in here is backed up by a great deal of experience. It's all derivative of other whistleblowers. And this is the only book that I know of that hits all the fields or most all of the fields in healthcare and helps the reader understand the rot and the corruption that has taken hold. Yeah. So that's, that's the, uh, well, the story. You know, and, and, and what's interesting about it is so this is. Um, it, the rot and corruption is not unique to healthcare because we're seeing this in like every industry. Um, you know, uh, we have been taken over by what I keep calling the intersection of big government and big corporate fascism. And, um, and it is fascism. You're absolutely right. And I call it the, you know, the oligarchy or, you know, all that stuff. But, but they are protected by the government. They're in bed with the government. Uh, you know, these big corporate interests are in, you know, in some respects running the government. You know, so you've got all of these people that are fleecing us, and it goes beyond just this industry. And now people who um, advocate socialism and things like that as the answer um, point to 
corruption and they call it capitalism, right? Or they call it free market. Oh, the free market approach didn't work because, you know, look, this is a feature of the system, corruption and things like that. No, you know, we have corruption in our hearts. We've abandoned morality uh, in favor of, of, uh, you know, legal arguments and things like that. And now we've arrived at where we're at. And so we, we, we need to properly diagnose what the problem is if you're ever going to solve it. We have a, we have a, perverse blend of uh, socialism and uh, capitalism that yep. doesn't doesn't freaking work at all. Yep. And, so, and we've got predators who are taking advantage of it. And the medical situation, I thought, was horrible two years ago. But when I realized what was going on with the rest of the world, the, the, what's going on is that these entities, these government and corporate entities, have just been emboldened to absolutely declare what they're up to and take over. And so we have remnants of a robust system of law and governance still in place, so we're still allowed to talk about it. But right now it doesn't look good for the home team. But we've got we're 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 all standing up, and uh, hopefully uh, you know we can uh, we can prevail. Yeah. So I'll I'll describe really quickly kind of how my journey went. You know, with respect to to my business. Um, right before uh, ACA got passed, you know, Obamacare, right before that got passed, you know, two or three years prior to that, I was working on a product because I looked at this and I said, okay, the system doesn't work. You know, these insurance products don't seem to work. You know, um, the insurance that you're getting at your employer, you know, it's, it's expensive and you're not getting that much. And I'm thinking like, wow, how would you solve it? So, in my entrepreneurial brain, you know, I I went and I spent my own money. It, it cost me about ten thousand dollars to you know get an underwriter and and you know do some things. And this is you know at a point where ten thousand bucks was huge for me. And I spent this time crafting a plan of you know okay, how would you solve healthcare? And what I did was I I um, made it a true insurance product because what we have in the United States, what they call health insurance is not health insurance. It, you know, the, there's our insurance principles that it goes against. Number one, you cannot insure against things that occur and reoccur on a regular basis, you know, which is why you can't insure the, uh, you know, gas in your car or things like that, or, you know, regular maintenance, you know, things like that very easily. Um, you insure accidents, you insure, you know, catastrophic things, you insure things that happen to you in life that you can predict, but, but there's enough people that it's not happening to. So the, you know, the, the numbers work, you know, the insurance world happened because of, uh, you know, merchant ships you know they all the merchant ship families got together and recognized that when one one of their ships went down instead of wiping out that family they all kind of put money in together and they would you know spread those losses out and that was kind of the the earliest birth of the whole insurance world well i created this product that um, made us have to spend our own money first so we had a direct right. relationship with the doctor the principle of insurance that's which right is that you have to have some skin in the game. Yeah, so we we spent our own money first. We most of our care was handled directly to with a with a doctor, you know, so we had that, you know, personal interface. Um he handled most of our care and then on top of that, you know, we had something that really protected us and it protected us at a concierge style level if we had something catastrophic that happened to us. And the way we worked this thing out at the time, you know, family um, plan was in the couple of thousand dollars a month if you were just be paying out of your pocket and your employer wasn't involved. And I brought it down to where it was just a few hundred dollars a month for a family. 
and the underwriting worked and all that stuff. At the end of the day, it was illegal for me to sell to you and it was illegal for you to buy it. Why? Existing insurance law, existing mandates that then came down from Obamacare, things that had to be included uh, in the actual insurance products, all of that made it to where it was impossible to actually sell and, and do that product. Now, um, I would have loved to buy it, and that's what I was aiming for is, hey, you know, I'm healthy. I, you know, I, I would love to have a product like this, but it you know, again, you know, I was forbidden in our free market from actually selling this to people and, and from actually buying it. So your company uh, wasn't interested? Well, no, it had nothing to do with I my see. company. Uh, yeah. My, you know, my company, and we could have created this. And there was, you know, there was people that, you know, thought the idea worked. But as we got involved, you know, with the legal aspect of it and looking to this stuff, you know, uh, it, it was a non-starter from the beginning um, for legal reasons. Wow. And, and again, what that is, is that's government involvement in a market saying what you can and cannot do in an industry. And so that, you know, that bummed me out kind of forever in, in our uh, industry. And that's why there's very little innovation. Anytime a government gets involved in something, you just don't have much, by the way, of, of um, innovation. That's why in the early days of smartphones and things like that, they rise so rapidly. Uber, you know, all these disruptors uh, until the government goes, whoa, 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 you know, let us get our, our beak wet. Let us get involved. Let us regulate this. And then they kind of, you know, put a put the brakes on things. Nuclear power is like that. Yeah. We're, they're these activists, these quote activists who have uh, basically they've destroyed our ability to use nuclear power with uh, equating it with the bomb, right? right? Which is entirely different. And uh, it's it's such a safe industry that no one in the West has lost their life to nuclear power accident from a power plant, period. Right. Okay. You, you can't imagine. But anyway, since, since the government uh, regulates it so heavily because of the activists, um, it, it just, it's, it just has become impossibly expensive. So we don't even know how much it would cost were the regulation not in place. Right. Yeah. And I think that's true of, again, you know, more than just, you know, that industry or, you know, the healthcare industry and all that. I, I think that's what happens when you have a government, you know, grow out of control. You know, we've had a semblance of liberty. We'd have a, we've had a semblance of free markets. But I think people are starting to wake up to realize, you know, how very little freedom and liberty we actually have. Well, let, let me explain what I learned about the insurance industry, and it's largely shielded from prying eyes. There, mm -hmm. there are very few exposés of the insurance industry that I could I could read that I found, uh, but I did find out that they skim twenty five percent of the entire four trillion U.S. healthcare expenditures right off the top, and unlike any other country in the world, they have their hands in. At Medicare administration, private insurance policies, and almost every facet of medical care that they they take their twenty five percent off, yeah, or maybe it's twenty percent roughly. And I know it's for the blues, you know, the Blue Cross Blue Shields. It can be thirty five percent for some private plans that they get before it goes anywhere near a provider or does anything productive for administration, quote unquote administration. So uh, it creates perverse incentives to spend more money and to increase right. the whole pie and to make it even more wasteful than the, than the double the other countries per capita that we have now. And I'll repeat that. I think I mentioned that in the other podcast. We spend twice per capita for health care what 
any other developed country spends, and we get horrible results. Our, we die earlier, we have more chronic diseases, and so on and so forth. And many commentators have thought that this was due to our regulation, primarily the FDA, which regulates both our food and has pushed us towards uh, high-carbohydrate diets. Yeah. And the drugs, which the FDA has actually made the situation much worse by by essentially being completely in bed with industry. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true because, it, yeah, it is our, our food industry is one of those things that is at the same time killing us because you, you look at, and in the insurance world, uh, you know, we can measure this because 75% of all claims that go through the medical insurance, you know, if your your company or whatever it is, when you're looking at the data there, 75% of all claims are lifestyle-based chronic conditions. Um, and I think it's something like 8% of the people in a health plan represent 80% of the cost. Were, were you an underwriter or what did you do exactly? I, um, I, I was a uh, an insurance broker consultant, yes. um, you know, spent many years. We, we um, uh, here locally, we, we were the kind of 800-pound gorilla in this region. Yeah. Our, our firm, I was one of 21 partners before we, we sold our firm to a, you know, much larger enterprise. Um, I, I still work for the larger enterprise um, and uh, and still have a, a block of business and still have some great clients and, and you know, love them to death. Um, and I wish I could solve this problem. Forgive me on this one, Bryce, but <laughs> the brokers take a huge percent of mm -hmm. the insurance pie themselves, perhaps 20% of the total of the 20% that they take off the whole thing. And yeah. um, I mean, it's not, stunning. Not, not How that, much is it? No, not that much. 15? So, um, it, no, we take, so if you were to, uh, if you were to look at, uh, let's say it's a, you know, hundred thousand uh, dollar or let's call it a million dollar premium in a mid, you know, mid-sized business, which is a ton. I mean, yeah. it's just behind, um, uh, just behind, uh, payroll, it's the greatest expense, you know, all the insurances. Um, so we get between two to 5% uh, uh, of that uh, in, in fees or yep. commissionable revenue that, that goes to It's not as bad as I thought. No, it's... It, <laughs> but um, it's still it, it's, bad. It is, but, but we're the ones that actually get, get beat up more than the health insurance companies because, you know, we're the only ones, the health insurance companies are, are, um, are the ones that are really in charge of it. And where else are these people going to go, Right. So the the um, the broker community takes you know takes it on the chin, um, and and you know there are brokers out there. We're you know we're generally prevented by uh, competitive pressure because you know you can get fired in a in an instant um, you know via a letter from you know one of your clients and they'll take that same insurance product and you know give it to the next guy. So there's so it's very you know very heavy competitive pressure in our world and we're doing a tremendous amount of the work and this is not to defend um, you know our industry because there's all kinds of things that are wrong with it but we're doing a tremendous amount of the daily work to um, interface between the insurance carriers and the employees that are trying to use the products that are getting denials and things like that so we're um, our, our like my team which I've got 11 that that work on on my team um, you know I've got a you know good good thriving group um, they 75% of their time is is dealing with those administrative issues and you know trying to solve people's problems where they're you know at the doctor's office right now and their insurance is being refused so am i right in saying that no other country universally has this 20% subtraction from their healthcare gross uh, spending 
that uh, goes through the insurance companies? And do the insurance companies play any useful administrative role in a, in a, in a sane system? Is that um, too hard a question? You know, well, so it's, it's very complex yeah. because, you know, the alternatives out there, right? Um, most of the, the countries, um, and, and, you know, this data is changing all the time, but uh, most of the uh, countries that are out there, no, virtually nobody has the system that we have, right? And our system is broken, and it's been broken for, you know, for, for many years. Um, but uh, all of the other countries, and, you know, we can take examples like the, you know, the UK or Canada, which, you know, I'm the most familiar with, although I, I'm pr pretty familiar with the way Scandinavian countries do it and the way Japan does it. But, um, but they all have a very, uh, a form of um, socialized medicine or single payer health or government run, um, you know, medical programs. And um, with that, you get a whole nother set of problems, yeah, of you course. know, because what, what we've done here is we've taken, uh, we've taken a, uh, what was one t at one time, a um, very innovative, very effective system. And we put the government bureaucracy on top of it and we piled on top of it extra regulation. And so we've basically taken the worst of both worlds because we essentially have socialized medicine here because it's all being controlled and you don't have the ability to, to really spend your dollars wisely. You have no insight onto what the hospitals are going to be charging you. Um, everything is directed towards, um, you know, sickness care, not really health care. Um, and, and so all of that has created a, a real perversity. But in Canada and other places, they ration care all the time. And, and you know, Canadians know this. You know, if you, if you want to go get a, you know, hip surgery yeah. or something like that, you know, you may wait months upon months to, to do it if they approve it at all. Um, and, and so there's all kinds of things. The average wait for medically necessary care in Canada, um, the, last, the last time I checked, was like 17 weeks. That, that all sounds terrible, but the listeners probably don't understand that pharma alone, with its $1.5 trillion worldwide gross revenues, probably more since COVID started, is bigger than all but 17 countries in yeah. gross revenues. So these these smaller countries have no prayer of negotiating with these large medical care industries. They have yep. no prayer of negotiating with a Pfizer. Britain is has been intimidated by uh, Lilly. When when Prozac was originally introduced, they threatened to take the uh, uh, manufacturer of these products outside of Britain. It, it, health, you know. Pharmaceutical manufacturer is a huge part of their gross domestic yeah. product. And so these countries have little say in what goes on, and the U.S. seems to have even less. Singapore, however, has excellent medical care. They've got mm -hmm. a draconian person, you know, who's a few people who run things, who actually tell them to go to hell. And they get by for 4.5% of the gross domestic product, yeah. as opposed to most developed countries, which are at 10, and the U.S. at 20% of our GDP. Yeah. It's, it's stunning. No, it, it's terrible. Um, one of the things that I almost nobody knows because it escaped notice, but um, President Trump in um, 2019, I think it was November of 2019, issued an executive order, and it was a very you know small little press um, you know uh, release. Uh, you know, he spoke on the podium for a few minutes about it. Had a you know had an HR person from a company that was talking about how expensive healthcare was, and you know he had her up, and you know as a part of the um, you know the the press um, 
uh, meeting, and he issued an executive order that would guarantee and, and enforce transparency for the hospitals and the insurance companies. It, with the billing, with, um, well, yeah, with the with, billing, with the they billing the rates. So billing you know, properly. right now, what what people don't uh, don't really understand is you know the the hospitals have a false pricing system. Yeah, called a charge master. The charge master, yeah, yeah and, it, and it is and it is essentially made up, right. and it's made up in overinflated numbers so that then they can you know come down and pay you know Medicare it's, rates. It's a negotiating tool. It it, it exactly and the, the is. cash payers pay the most of anyone. It's yeah. very sick. That's Elizabeth Rosenthal's book. Yeah, no, it's um, it's terrible. It's it's it is perverse and American sickness. That's, right. That's the good reference about hospitals. Yeah. So um, anyway, Trump Trump issued this, and I and and a day or two later, um, I happened to be with a former uh, chief executive of one of our um, uh, large blues and. Uh, um, you know, very, very sophisticated, amazing CEO, you know, ran, ran the, the, uh, healthcare enterprise for many, many years. And, uh, I asked him, Hey, so what do you think about this? Now at this point he's, you know, he's retired and he's out and, and all that. And he said, Oh, the hospitals are going to hate it. And so will the insurance carriers, because it's a good thing. And what it, what it would have done is it would force them to, again, you know, reveal what real actual pricing is and what it really costs for, you know, that broken leg or for that, you know, particular treatment, whatever it is. And then it would also expose what the negotiated rates that the insurance carriers pay. It would enforce some parity amongst the insurance carriers. So then what they would have to focus on is service, right? Adjudicating claims quickly, figuring out how to bring down the costs, you know, all of those sort of things. Not taking people's houses that were poor and had nothing yeah, else. Yeah, you know, all of that All of that would have had to been, you know, laid bare and transparent. Um, and, and, of course, what did Biden do as soon as he got into office? Reversed it. One of the sickest things pe most people don't understand is when they enter a hospital or an emergency room, they, they sign a document that says the hospital or the emergency room can charge and they need they have to pay any freaking thing that they can dream up. And that's not done in any other industry. And the other thing they do is they charge for time in the facility, which might seem reasonable to some people, but you don't pay for time when you go into Walmart. I mean, that's just bad service it's an outrage and and these practices are somehow became acceptable practices in america yeah. well i mean look we we want you want a hospital to be profitable i do you know profit motive i think is important right well, profit motive well, it, but, but what we don't want is to be fleeced 75 percent of them are non-profits right so yeah. they are they, it, it well that's fake they're <laughs> it's fake and what they yeah. end up doing they're phenomenally profitable they yeah. they've got margins not that are uh, that are fantastic 30 yeah. percent no but not, what not they for do, profit does not mean yeah. that they that they're all working it for means free. it means that they have almost no oversight they don't have a board of directors yeah. they okay so so these things these things these entities now buy up medical practices they buy other institutions yeah. they're amalgamating because so much money is throwing i mean you go to florida and you find the cleveland clinic down in florida because mm -hmm. they've made so much money from the insurance reimbursed practices that they that they have in Cleveland that they can they can buy buildings and grab the patients from down there and you know exploit their uh, government money that we all spend on on our health care yeah 
Bryce, before we go on from this insurance thing, now mm-hmm. you're still working. Mm-hmm. I don't want I don't want you to get in trouble here. But is there any are yeah. there any other things you want to rat out about the insurance industry? Because I found it more or less impenetrable when I tried to study it, and I, I've just about told you everything I know about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I, I've been I've been very open and very critical of it. You know, and it's funny because uh, you know, look, I mean, it's it's pro- it provided a great living for my family. Um, you know, I I for many years have thought I was doing good, and I and and my team we. Do do good. We do good work. We work very, very hard on behalf of our clients and, and more importantly, on behalf of the employees that are, you know, in the system and making sure that they get care. So I'm, you know, I'm not ashamed of any of that. I would love to fix it. And I believe that I could fix it if, you know, if I was, uh, you know, made, uh, you know, dictator for a couple of years, um, you know, I'd be a benevolent dictator just in case anybody's wondering. Um, but I believe that we could fix it by returning, you know, free market principles to it. You know, it's it. it and again, it's not unique to the insurance industry or medical or anything. We, we have so many little fascist um, industries that, that um, I, I, I I'll give a funny example. Um, we, we have so much tyranny going on that I would call soft tyranny. My wife uh, complains regularly that we can't buy an effective washing machine anymore. They because, only last four years. Well, not only do they only last four years, they don't wash your clothes. My wife has to do multiple loads uh, um, you know, to, in order to get the same result of a machine that we had, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. It's the water consumption thing. Um, it's water consumption. It's they're, they're supposed to be efficient, you know, all those sort of things that, that are, um, you know, handed down by our tyrants in government that are saying, oh, yes, we'll do this, that ultimately backfire because we end up using just as much water. Uh, but what they've eaten away from my wife is time. Right. You know, because now it's no longer efficient for us to just get these things done. You can't you, you can't find washing machines that effectively will soak something overnight. You know, all of this stuff has changed. We have that going on in all of these industries and government is the problem and responsible for it. The, you're, what you're talking about is the fraudulent green agendas. Yes. And I, I hope you took my advice and tried to contact Dr. Uh, Patrick Moore because he is. A fin- did I tell you about uh, him? Uh, you, you did. We yeah. haven't gotten him on yet, he, but I uh, would love to have him. <laughs> When I read his book, I realized that 25 things that I was worrying about, like carbon this and carbon that, the polar bear extinctions, the plastic in the oceans, yeah. it was it was a pack of lives from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the plastic oceans, there was a movie called Plastic Ocean on Netflix, which scared the hell out of me. And it, what it claims is that the, the poor little seabirds are eating this plastic and they're all dying in mass and they're sinking to the bottom. And that there is a area the size of Texas or half of South America, maybe, in the middle of the Pacific where the, all the trash is swirling around. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a lie. It doesn't exist. Yeah. It's made up by these demagogues who are trying to scare everybody, solicit money from ignorant fools like me. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, and then when they're, they're confronted with the fact that you sail a ship through that area and there's no plastic, they say, well, it, it just, it's it just right, moved. No, no. It's right beneath the surface. Oh. <laughs> As if every piece of plastic has a buoyancy compensator that put it right beneath the surface so you can't see it. Right. Right. And basically this stuff is inert it, and yeah. it does degrade and it's not a problem. The polar bear thing is like a bad joke. The polar bears are eating the Inuit and they're complaining because the polar bear 
population has grown by 10 times over the last 30 years. I, yeah. Those are rough numbers. Um, but, but anyway. Uh, Michael Schellenberger, who uh, right now is, you know, running for governor, um, you know, here in California on, uh, you know, no party uh, uh, ticket um, as an independent. Uh, he wrote a book called Apocalypse Never, and I got to meet him and spend a little time. He wrote a book called San Francisco as well, and, and he talks a lot about that. And he was a um, uh, a very left leaning liberal that you know went he's a truth seeker and he spent all of this time like how do we really solve these problems and then and then essentially became what he calls politically homeless because he realized how much of it is a fraud and you know he's a big proponent of nuclear energy and and you know effective ways of cleaning homelessness up and all that so yeah i i, uh, I agree with you that there's this you know cabal of of people that it's are trying to globalist yep. agendas yep. trying to essentially decrease the population scare the heck out of everybody and I mean, it, and control us. Yeah. And we should just touch briefly on the carbon thing. Yeah, I know it's a little it. off topic. No, no, so go. In, in 10 seconds, that whole thing about carbon consumption is fraudulent from start to finish. Carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has increased slightly since the Industrial Revolution. But at the start of the Industrial Revolution, the carbon in the atmosphere was something like 350 parts per million, which is near the threshold at which life dies, which is, you know, 250. So it was, in geological uh, terms, it was near an extinction event for all life on Earth because the plants need carbon dioxide to live. And we have documented with NASA photographs the greening of the Earth since we have slightly increased the carbon dioxide due to fossil fuel consumption and fossil fuel um, carbon dioxide production since NASA has been around in the 1960s and the whole earth has gotten greener and the temperatures have risen by a degree. We, we, we have fossil records of both CO2 and the, the temperatures on the earth and they don't correlate for 800 million billion years, 800 billion years. So this is done with ice cores from the Antarctic and all these other inferential methods. But we know that what they're saying about this carbon consumption is a politically motivated pack of lies. I mean, it's it's an incredible Sounds story. Like I'm in the room with a client, a climate <laughs> denier, a climate denier. <laughs> well, they, you know that's well that that's their tactic, of course. Yeah. That they that you know they will they will immediately label you when the reality is is you know these things need to be transparently open for debate. And then the solution to things need to be transparently open for debate. And, um, you know, there is a uh, it is a conservative principle to be a good steward of the earth. So, you know, all I know is in the uh, in the you know, 70s, uh, when I grew up, you know, you rolled down your window and, you know, you hooked your uh, McDonald's bag <laughs> out, out the window, you know, and and we've had vast improvements over, you know, uh, some of those things culturally, you know, over time. And it is, again, it's a conservative principle in case anybody's wondering. It's a conservative principle to care for our environment and to do the right thing. What they're doing is creating an industry to control us and, you know, fleece us and playing these games while they run around on their jets and buy carbon credits. And that, that, that's, that, that is the point at which you know that it's a total farce. In order, the listeners should, in order to prepare themselves for the next, uh, for the episode where he's going to bring uh, Dr. Moore in, they should pick up Dr. Moore's 
book on Amazon. And it's something like uh, fake catastrophes and invisible crises or it's something right. like that. So um, I highly recommend that. I didn't know any of the material in the book before a month ago. And I just about fell out of my chair. Yeah. No, when you when you lay bare the game that they've played and how much they've uh, you know twisted and lied to us for their own um, financial gain, it's it's stunning. So should we uh, get, get roll on a, about medical corruption? Get back to healthcare and <laughs> okay. medical corruption. Yeah. So, so hospitals represent at least a third of the medical spend in America, and they are basically ruthless pirates who have little concern for the individuals or the health of people that they take care of and witness what they've done with this COVID thing. I mean, they, they have been incentivized to diagnose COVID, to intubate people with COVID, which is more often fatal than not, to use remdesivir, which is the same, and they get incentivized for when the patients die. And it's it's a stunning story, and I think you you had a guest on whose yeah. wife was murdered by the hospital. Yeah, we've had a we've had a couple. We also had um, uh, Scott Shera on as yeah. well, um, who you know went through a, a horrific experience with his daughter. Um, and I know he's he's made the rounds on on a number of podcasts telling that story. But no, the, those are and they're not alone. There's there's you know dozens of them, and we've had several on the show. So, and we spoke last time about the FD, about Big Pharma. Everyone knows Big Pharma are a bunch of crooks. Yeah. You know, it's not that's not novel information. But what they most people don't understand is we have a device industry. You know, with implantable devices, which is even less regulated than pharma because they don't have the requirements for study. So we can look at Pfizer studies and see that they're fraudulent. It's hard to, for them to get all the evidence of their frauds out of the study. And the FDA cooperates with all this stuff. And But these other guys are allowed to pat, patent devices on a, quote, substantially similar, unquote, uh, standard. So they can, they can make new – and they, they've had multiple disasters – I mean, the orthopedists do a lot of good, but, and I think we also spoke a little bit about the journals and the academics of medicine. The journals are absolute prostitutes. They're in the, in, they're in the financial pockets of the, the payers and the, these big corporations, and they, they, they will basically publish any kind of fraudulent nonsense the FDA uh, right. puts Right, because those, they have to be funded, and it's those organizations that you know, want them to provide a result that are oftentimes the ones that are funding them, right? One of their crooked games is they sell reprints back to the very people who are publishing the articles. So that's a kickback. And the reprints cost $20 a piece just for a few pages of paper. You think they'd be able to copy them, but that's against the rules. Okay, so, and, so make sure I understand. You mean, so they do a study, and the study mentions a product that the people who are you know paying, they pay for, for the slick reprint of the uh, actual article. And the journals sell that, which is a okay. kickback to the journal. Right, yeah, and, and that's that's the way that's the way part of the game is played. Obviously, there's advertising revenues, which are huge. Right. Um, so, where do you want to go next? I mean, I've got these other medical industries we could jump into. Let, let's let's hit a couple. Okay. Um, because you know, like I, I know you you also um, you know wrote a book you know here on on hormones and and you know some of the things that are going on with that. But but you before when we were just you know chatting casually at the, at the uh, beginning of the show, you talked about a couple of you know uh, a couple of testing industries, a couple of uh, you know things that are that are um, fraudulent in your opinion. So let let me see if I can outline the heart industry in a few words. 
sham surgery studies have more or less debunked stents completely, right? Okay. You know what a stent is? Stent yeah. is when they stick a little balloon inside your, your blocked up artery and open it up and stick a little device in there. Right. So the, the, the stents don't work. They might never work, but there, there is some loose evidence that suggests they might just work during the time when you're actually having a lot of pain and actually having a severe heart attack called an ST elevation myocardial infarction. That's the most, that's the most aggressive kind of a heart attack. So, so maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. I argue in my book that the numbers say it doesn't even work for that. Uh, but for the other kinds... Based on looking at studies that you've seen? Ba- well, or, the, studies, the studies... Their own studies. Their own studies. And uh, it stunned everybody when these studies came out. The coronary artery bypass surgery is a plumbing job around the blockages, right? And mm-hmm. that's intuitively very appealing. It makes sense. The surgeons who did it had huevos the size of cantaloupes, right? To, right. to just, okay. So it seemed to work. Uh, but it turns out that surgery is the biggest placebo, and uh, largely what they were studying was pain, right? And it works avidly for pain. So when they sorted the studies out, finally, they discovered that it worked only for one small area that they plumbed around, and that's the main, the left left main artery, which is a little artery of two centimeters long, from which two other arteries spring. There's three arteries in the heart, right? Right. If they plumb around that, I'm going to tell you the totality of the benefit. It was a 20% decrease in death over five years. And that's it. That's the total. You go into the cath lab to get your stints and you think you're going to save your life. Well, they don't do anything. You go into the coronary artery bypass grafting situation and you, that you come back with five workarounds, five different things, right? And only that one small area statistically has been proven to have a benefit on death rate. And it's only a 20% improvement over five years. Just think about that. This entire effort, which are, I mean, it's tens of billions for each, each of these things, right? Right. And for the coronary artery bypass grafting, the fatality rate can be up to 10%. It's three to 10%. And the people with brain damage is one third of the people who go into the surgery. So they get a brain fog that they never come out of, or it takes, you know, six to 12 months for them to come out of neurological damage due to the surgery, the heart lung bypass, the whole parade. Right. Right. So we have these enormously expensive and high tech things that you would think work, but freaking hardly work at all, if at all. So that's, that's the, the heart industry. Do you, and you read the references and butchered by healthcare, if you don't believe me. I mean, I'm flat-footed about what I say. Yeah. Nobody else is, but I, you know, I'm retired. I don't have a horse in the race any longer. Right. And, and it's, the whole thing is just sickening. So these, and these things are used indiscriminately. Most things in medicine, if used in an artful fashion, in other words, if they used by experienced physicians with good judgment, could have a net benefit, right? But instead, they're used to satisfy billing codes and make the most money possible, and they're used indiscriminately on every camper that comes by. And that's the case with another subject. If, if, you, if you have questions about the heart industry, you can go there first. Well, but- I, like, I like touching on it, but, uh, but you know, one of the things that I think has opened people's eyes to this is you know, during COVID, there was no talk about just getting healthy as a defense <laughs> 
against COVID, right? There was zero. There, there was no other than, you know, a few doctors. You know, we had Dr. Nick Greiner on. We had uh, uh, Dr. Leland as well. And, uh, you know, a couple others that, that have talked about, you know, from the very beginning, you know, hey, you need to get healthy, you know, get, get your immune system in order, things like that. Well, that doesn't make the healthcare industry any money if we're healthy. Um, and so, you know, why would they talk about it? And that showed in my mind, you know, how in bed, you know, that the whole industry was with the, you know, COVID response and, you know, everything that was driving this stuff. Okay. I want to make it clear that I'm not throwing rocks at individual doctors. Being a doctor is so consuming that these guys hardly have time to wipe their noses. That, that's it's, a fair point. They've got, they've got, and you know what? percent of the time they have spent on charting after Obamacare was instituted. What, how much time did that take? Do you have any clue? Um, well, it, it, um, the insurance industry, Guess high. well, well, let me, let me say this because this will add flavor to it. Uh, the insurance industry operated on a, a roughly about 18,000 codes prior to ACA about 280,000 codes after ACA was oh implemented. <laughs> So you, you can imagine, again, you know, when I talk about a, you know, a, a really already heavily regulated, you know, nightmare industry that's very complicated, well, you pop on top of that even more bureaucracy and, and nonsense. And, you know, of course, they're spending so much time, you know, having to do all of, you know, charting is just, you know, one of those aspects. Bryce, I hate to put you on the spot, but give me a guess at what percent of time the doctors currently spend on coding and charting as opposed to before. And this is stunning. I mean, a doctor, we oh, work at least yeah, 60 I, hours I, a week. Yeah, I, 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 but would think of a probably, I, I would say 50% of the well, it's time. Not quite, it's 40 to 50%. Okay. 40% they, I, these people have to go home, and instead of spending time with their family, they've yeah. got to click on the computer in order to get paid. So they got to get paid. So quick shout out to, you know, one of, one of my friends has a clinic. Um, uh, it's a direct primary care model clinic in... Um, uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, I believe. Um, and it's called Appleton Clinics. Uh, Craig, Dr. Craig Gustafson. And uh, uh, you pay uh, for, for a family, at least when, when I had uh, learned of this, um, you, you pay um, a couple hundred dollars a month. I think it was something like $99 a month for you and your spouse and like one child at the time. I think, you know, they've raised their prices a little bit. And it takes care of probably 90% of your care and and you have that direct relationship with the doctor and so they only see um you know a few patients a day um you know ver and and so they work a reasonable amount of time they don't have all of the insurance stuff that's going on all the time right um because i think at the time uh comparable doctors were seeing 40 patients a day 40 is a lot <laughs> yeah 40 is a lot i don't know yeah, for a gp practice though i i, I think yeah. i think the numbers uh, close um, to and, that uh, we're close to that unless I, you work I, for kaiser in which case you see 17 yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i want to make it clear that i don't believe that we have solutions now the right. problem is this thing has gotten so technological and there are miracles done every day if they're if if you're getting proper health care and there there are reasons that that it's expensive right not good reasons in all cases but um we have three different federally run systems that are a mess right we've got right. medicare we've got the indian health service and we got the va and if you if you really want to see a mess study the va i mean it's by far the worst yeah. the indian health service the patients don't even care what happens you know for the right. most part um so 
So I don't think that a federally managed program is a good answer, but other countries have made it work. And it may be, I mean, if we're headed there, I don't know how we can make it work in America with all these private interests and these huge corporations yeah. and everything else, but it works in other countries. And the care, the mortality is better. The death rate is better than the United States. Yeah, but that that's where I, I argue for the complexities of um, uh, our food system, obesity, yeah. you know, because again, that's that's if you look at what's driving our mortality, it's things that are uh, consumption of, you know, too much, uh, too much prosperity and, you know, and, and our lifestyles and our culture and all of that, that that is complicated by the food industry that's, you know, selling us junk. And, and, you know, food is medicine. I couldn't agree more. I, I would put an element of guilt and uh, criminality to the regulation of the food industry. In fact, there are many commentators who think that they have led us into this obesity epidemic almost strictly due to one factor, and that's pushing carbohydrates over fats. Yeah. And it's, it's an outrage that we demonize animal fats, which don't contribute to heart disease. Yeah. They increase cholesterol. See, the, the whole thing kind of started when we did these studies about cholesterol, and we found that we could lower cholesterol with various things. But then they made the leap to thinking that that had to do with heart disease. And it, it if it has a relationship to heart disease, it's very subtle. Yeah. The statin drugs that are used, they're passed out like jelly beans. They really, the good science is only for people after a heart attack or with phenomenally high cholesterols. The rest of it, you shouldn't use them. The, the risks don't justify or the expense, it doesn't justify the, uh, the consumption of those damn things. Yeah, well, um, uh, there's some uh, evidence that suggests some of the brain diseases that we've had, uh, you know, that were that were very, you know, very popular when I was growing up. My my mom, you know, was uh, my mom overate, and she um, would you know snack on light l i t e foods. <laughs> What's and, that? You know, what where they where they reduce. You know, there's only two things that make you know food tastes good and it's fat or sugar and so every time they lowered fat they would just increase the sugar and so you'd t you'd take these you know carbs that that you know essentially were were just these sugar bombs and uh, and they were you know marketed as healthy to these you know housewives and you know women that were staying home with their you know frustrating kids and things like that and my 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 mom led a, a life of of that you know doubling down on those things and then um alzheimer's got her very very early and um as i've been reading and and you probably can you know lend much more to this um you know i i believe a lot of what we've seen because cholesterol is how your brain runs and fat and all of that um and i know i'm oversimplifying it but 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 if you're taking healthy fats out of a diet and all yeah. that, it's got to rob the brain of of its nutrients. Women do better with higher cholesterols. They have lower heart disease. They do not have a pattern similar to men. So and I I got a I got to plug hormone secrets here. Yeah yeah <laughs> okay. go for it. So this is my book that I wrote about bioidentical hormones and Alzheimer's would be now listen to this story and it's going to sound too incredible to be true. 85% of Alzheimer's would be prevented if we were to supplement estradiol or estrogen for every woman over 50. Now that sounds absolutely unbelievable. It wow. sounds like I am, I am insane. But 
in order to counter that, in the appendix of the printed book, I have 75 references that back that statement up. And the reason why it's not used is it's not patentable. It's not an expensive drug. It's something that is, by statute, off patent because it's part of the human body. They, they patented progesterone analogs or progesterone relatives like Provera, Right, which right. Is, which is turns out to be a bad actor, and what happened in a nutshell is we had a study, the largest study ever done, the most expensive study ever done, cost almost a billion dollars, that came out in around two thousand and three, called the Women's Health Initiative, and it demonized these hormones when in fact the things that were causing the problem were synthetic hormones and horse urine estrogen mainly the synthetic progesterone which caused a slightly increased rate of breast cancer and that got spread all around by a, a willing media and as we know a bell once rung is not cannot be unrung and right. it, to this day we have Everybody is scared to death of hormones. When, when what we've had is we have had 120 years experience with thyroid. We had 50, 60, 70 years of experience with progesterone, estrogen, growth hormone, testosterone. I mean, our experience with these medications and our knowledge, is, uh, knowledge of the endocrine systems that they work in is profound. But that's, that's for the next podcast. Sorry, I, I got off a rant <laughs> No, I think that. that's great. We, we well, have a, a well, lot more. Yeah, well, let's let's hit a couple of these other um, you know medical areas where you have seen fraud and you know some real snake oil. Okay, so we have multiple reimbursement systems in America, right? And we know about Medicare, we know about private insurances. Most people are not very sensitized to uh, workmen's compens workers' compensation. Now, what workers' compensation is, it's a well-meaning system that was originally designed to uh, eliminate liability and, and take care of employees who were injured on the job in a rapid and efficient and accurate fashion. Yeah. But it, it has devolved into a litigation pit where 30% of the the patients end up suing to supposedly, you know, because a part of the process, the yeah. parasites, the lawyers, they, they take part especially of Especially here in California. Yeah, especially in California. It's a complete mess. And so, and that that's what I call the second worst healthcare delivery system. And I'll get to the worst in a yeah. second. Yeah, well, you know what the worst well, is? Well, uh, you know, workers' comp, of yeah. course, is something no. that we, yeah, we're comp. very familiar with workers in the comp insurance is the business, second, too. Second yeah. worst. You know yeah. what the worst no, is? No, what's, what's the worst? PI. Oh, yeah. PI is worse. But anyway, the overhead in workers' comp, the, the, the amount the insurance companies take is 33% off the top, right? It's higher than the average for Medicare or the blues. It's 33% off the top. So we know the numbers for this. And then you've got layers of insurance companies. I mean, you've got layers of uh, plaintiff's lawyers and fraud and this and that. And it, the overhead on, on that is probably 60 or 75%. But it's even higher for personal injury where the model is, you know, you find the person who's injured. Sometimes there are people who pull out in the middle of an intersection and get hit by a truck who's well insured, you know, the company's well insured. And the they, they become plaintiffs. And then the, the revenues that are ultimately obtained from the insurer are split three ways. A third goes to the doctor, a third goes to the patient, and a third goes to... The lawyer. Can you imagine? Anyway, so that, that's... That, that, sorry to attack your industry, dude. I don't mind. Okay. No, no, listen. I uh, Look, um, I value authenticity 
and truth more than anything else. And, you know, these things need to be shared, need to be brought up. Um, again, you know, I, I would love to be, you know, dictator of the earth just for a little while. I could clean up a bunch of things if they let me.